This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's having a great day out there. Excited for today's show. Got a lot of good stuff coming up here in a little bit. I'll play you a little bit of a panel discussion we had at the Star Tribune on Tuesday. Uh, it was a live show, a replay, uh, also available on Facebook, StarTribune.com. I want to play a little bit of it, though. It was a panel of women's basketball experts kind of talking about the upcoming women's basketball NCAA tournament and particularly the Final Four coming to Minneapolis here in just a couple weeks. So check uh, check here for that here in a little bit. Uh, i got to talk Vikings. They made a move, signed linebacker Jordan Hicks. Could spell the end of the Anthony Barr era. What does that mean for the defense? What does that mean for the salary cap? And speaking of salary cap, got to get to the Aaron Rodgers contract numbers that were released. And an interesting number on the Twins. Some of the analytical models higher on the Twins than maybe some of us are. And showing that if they make another move or two, um, at least according to these projections uh, from Baseball Prospectus, they could be uh, they could be more in the playoff hunt than you and I might think. But first, what did I miss? Got to start with the Minnesota Wild made a trade that had me scratching my head. I've been scratching my head at a lot of trades this week. Uh, the Twins trade uh, involving Josh Donaldson, Gary Sanchez um, earlier this week had me scratching my head just in terms of positions, and so did this one. Although I will admit that after hearing Bill Guerin talk about it on uh, general manager Bill Guerin talk about it a little bit on Tuesday, uh, I feel a little bit differently about it. I understand the logic behind the move a little bit more, but the wild sending center Nico Sturm to Colorado, interdivision rival for center uh, center wing. Uh, not sure what he'll play here exactly, but he's played both, probably more of a center. Tyson Jost. Uh, from from Colorado, so uh, d- interdivision trade, interesting kind of swapping pieces there. Sturm, the you know bigger player, maybe he has has been more productive. I mean, I think that a lot of the uh, a lot of the analytical models were saying you know Colorado won this trade, not only getting a better player but a lower cost player. But I think Bill Guerin would disagree based on what he sees as the upside of Jost. But I have you scratching my head, I mean, because, you know, he's not good in some of these key areas that the Wild has struggled. I mean, Tyson Jost, seen here losing more than 60% of his career face-offs, uh, now moves to a team that has a strug- has struggled mightily in the dot. Yeah, 39.5% in his career on face-offs. So if he's relied on in that center role, that's going to be a problem. Now, the upside comes, you know, from his offensive ability. He hasn't necessarily shown it too much in Colorado, but this is one of those maybe change of scenery moves where where Bill Guerin sees something in this player that he thinks could help this team that frankly has been struggling quite a bit lately. So let's hear Guerin break down why he made the move before we get into some other bigger picture stuff that he said on Tuesday as well. Well, I, I think they're uh, they're they're very different players. I think, uh, you know, I think Nico is, you know, a little bit bigger. He's, you know, straight ahead player. I think Tyson's probably a little more skilled. Um, I, I think he needs an opportunity to to showcase his skills more. Um, I think he'll be able to get that with us. I, I uh, you know, hey, look, in, in, I, I think it's a win-win because I think both players were in need of a change. Um, you know, Nico gave us uh, – 
you know, a couple of great years. He was, uh, I think he was one of the better college free agent signings in the last few years. And, um, you know, we wish him nothing but the best and he's going to a good situation and we're very excited to have Tyson. And uh, we, we think there's a lot more potential uh, for Tyson to grow and, and become the player that he wants to be. Uh, Garen did say Jost should have a pretty good sized role with this team that to be the offensive player, the wild wants Jost to be that Jost wants to be. He'll need to play in a, you know, with, with some, with some good talent around him. That might not happen Wednesday when the Wild play, although it sounds like Jost will be in the lineup at least Wednesday, just kind of seeing what he has right off the jump here. So that'll be interesting. You know, this is a team that, you know, has really struggled lately. They got Boston tonight, another that's a tough opponent right there. Um, you got Boston tonight. You got a whole bunch of other, you know, you, you've lost so many games in the last two, three weeks here that um, the playoff per playoff position has become more precarious in the wild just four and 12 in its last 16 games and you know with the trade deadline Monday could be an opportunity I mean Garen said he's it's got to be the right move it's not just going to be a move for the sake of shaking this team up in some way but you know that there could be another move or two before the deadline comes and you know that's a reflection of kind of how they've been playing. Like I said, only four wins in their last 16 games. That said, he said something else interesting about how, you know, you you can't, I think the, the key the key phrase, and you'll hear it here in a minute, was that you can't trade your way out of problems, that this team's going to have to play better internally. It's not just going to be fixed by one or two moves before the trade deadline. So here is Garen on that notion as well. Like, like I've said in the past, I, I trust this group of players. I, I have a lot of faith in them. They've they've proven to the to the league how good they can be. Um, you know, it, I, I think when when we're when we're doing the things we're supposed to be doing and, and playing the way we're supposed to be playing and competing the way we're supposed to, we're a very good team. And I think we're just trying to find our way back to that. Uh, we're not going to. You can't trade your way out of problems. It's just impossible. You can you can make a trade to, you know, strengthen your team or add to it. But if you have a problem, it's a trade's not going to fix it. So I'm not trying to fix anything. I'm trying to make us better. And obviously, goaltending has been a big problem um, in the last in the, over that last 16 game span. You know, you look at a lot of these losses, big goal numbers showing up here. You know, the last. Their last two losses, 6-2, 3-2, not so bad. But even their their most recent win was 6-5. You go back, they lost 6-3, 5-4, 5-1, 7-3. I mean, you know, between Cam between Cam Talbot and uh, Kapokakin, and neither one of them has been playing well. And, and, and Garen got asked, you know, is goaltending something you might even need to address before Monday's deadline he said not necessarily which was an interesting answer and he went on to talk about how he still has confidence in those goalies you know what I I still have confidence in these guys I know the numbers aren't aren't uh you know they're 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 not telling me I should but I do I know the people I know the character of these guys and you know I I think if you ask them they're they're the first ones to to tell you that they haven't been playing as well as they can and and they'll they'll need to be better. And look at we all know that when we're when we're not at our best, right? And uh, you know we we do need them to be better. We need a we need a ton of guys on our team to be better. We haven't been 
we haven't been good enough, uh, you know, for the last 15 games. So, you know, it's not, I'm not into finger pointing or blaming anybody. We all need to be better. I need to be better. I need to make sure that I'm, I'm helping the team as much as I can. The coaches need to be better. It's just, that's just the way it is. So I'm confident in the people. Um, their games can get better, sure. But I, I, I love the character of those two guys. I think the bottom line here is this is a team that needs, you know, something. I think they need to find it from within, which is a theme of what Garen said. You're not going to trade a bunch of future assets to try to win right now. That's not going to that's not going to set you up to win in three or four years when you're going to really need some of those young pieces to contribute, especially when Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi are still counting a lot towards your salary cap. So you can't just spend your way out of trouble. You can't just trade trade away the future to try to be good in the next two, three years. That's not a sustainable model. But, you know, if you can work some deals around the edges, kind of like this deal with Nico Sturm and Tyson Jost, um, Jost under contract for next season as well, only making about $2 million next year. So not a huge cap hit. If, if this works out to be a good deal, and, you know, you get some offensive production from Jost, you get some penalty killing from Jost, you get some other things, you know, then that then that also helps you next season as well. But Garen did say this is a move made 99% for getting better right now. So we will see if that, you know, if the move achieves its desired goal or if this slide continues. Um, but, you know, it, it, it didn't quite it didn't quite seem like a, a, a news conference with with Garen that was, you know, filled with desperation. But you can tell that he's not happy with the way things are going right now, nor should he be, and that, you know, something's got to change. Something's got to be, be – a, a switch has to be flipped in order to get back to the way this team was playing before this, you know, 4-12 and 12 slide. I don't know if this kind of move is the one that gets them there. Maybe it will be a coincidence if it does happen. Maybe Jost will light it up. Who knows? But I wouldn't be surprised if there's something more significant coming in the next few days before the deadline arrives. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Like I mentioned at the jump, women's basketball tournament starts today. Um, with those first four games, it's a new wrinkle in the tournament, and uh, you know it starts in earnest with the second round on Friday, and then the final four will be here two weeks from Friday. And uh, we had a great discussion about just the tournament and uh, you know things to watch. So I wanted to play a piece of that for you right now with our panel of experts from Tuesday. I'm joined by a bunch of people who know a whole lot about this tournament and women's basketball in general. Uh, I'm joined by uh, panelists uh, Sloan Martin, who does play-by-play for women's basketball, Big Ten Network, Leah B. Olson, studio analyst and commentator for the Lynx and Timberwolves, Cheryl Coward, editor and creator of the women's basketball website, hoopfeed.com, and Kent Youngblood, our lead women's college basketball and WNBA reporter at the Star Tribune. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Well, let me just start. I'm, I'm on my Zoom screen. I see Sloan Martin um, on my upper left. And whenever I'm doing one of these, whenever I'm teaching or whenever I'm doing a Zoom otherwise, um, upper left is where I start. So I'm just going to start with 
everybody here, uh, but start with Sloan Martin. Um, what are some of the biggest storylines you're looking forward to following in this year's tournament? And, and don't, don't take all of them so that everybody has a chance to, I'm sure some of them, there'll be some overlap, I'm sure. Yeah. I, it's, it's easy to get really excited this time of year and just want to like blurt everything out and then having a, a really cool panel that really knows the sport too. So I will try to restrain myself, but I think for me, one of the biggest storylines is it's really easy every single year to imagine the four number one seeds getting into the final four. And there certainly are four number one seeds that are really, really fantastic. Although I do think Louisville is not really entering the tournament with a lot of momentum, like a Stanford is, for example, on a 20 game winning streak. But I really think that this is a year where we might see those disruptions, where they really are a lot more depth in each region that are just gunning for these number one overall seeds. And glancing down at my bracket, Stanford has to go through either Maryland, Ohio State, Texas, NC State has to go through um, UConn, through um, Indiana as well, who was in the Big Ten Championship game. South Carolina has to go through Iowa. And looking at that big matchup, you have Caitlin Clark <laughs> on the floor, Monica Sinano from Watertown, Minnesota, against Aaliyah Boston. And then Louisville as well, having to go through Baylor and Michigan possibly too. So I think that we could see some disruption in the final four uh, of those number one seeds. I'm really excited to see, you know, what happens and who can insert themselves to get to Minneapolis. Leah, I'll go to you next. I should also uh, give a shout out to those of you watching live on Zoom right now. If you have a question, please leave that in the Q&A. You'll see a little Q&A tab probably at the bottom of your screen. Feel free to leave a question. I'll try to get to a few of those for our panelists as well. But Leah B. Olson, go ahead. Well, first and foremost, I think we have to talk about that. It's going to be here in Minneapolis. So to me, that's the most exciting thing I have been waiting for this day um, to come for the last couple of years. And so I think that in itself, that we will do it excellent job of showing the best in women's basketball because Minnesota has great basketball from youth sports to girls, high school, all the way through college. And then of course the WNBA with the links. So it's a great spot to highlight the best women's basketball players in the country. Um, I love the fact that we have 68 teams in this year. I love the fact that we can call it March madness because didn't we call it March Madness anyways? Um, because we didn't know that that was only supposed to be used for the men. Um, so I just think that this kind of represents um, like a big step forward in this tournament. Um, the greatness, as Sloan said, and all of the players and the depth that we're going to see here in Minneapolis, and it's all on display right in our backyard. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that piece of it as well. Just that it's, you know, it being right here, it's going to be even more fun and entertaining. Um, Cheryl, let's let's hear from you. You've been doing this for a long time. I'm sure you've seen um, a, a lot of different, you know, different facets of this tournament. What are you looking forward to in particular this year? I'm actually really looking forward to the first four uh, bracket because this is the new thing uh, for the first time we have, uh, like said before, 68 teams and see who can maybe break out of that and um, have some upsets. I mean, like DePaul and Dayton, whoever wins that game, uh, the team that they play is going is to be going to have to be ready because that could be a possibly possible upset. Um, and also to see how the teams that are um, have a lot of momentum coming into the tournament fares. Um, so you mentioned uh, Kentucky 
and see if they can, you know, take that momentum further into the tournament and cause some disruption. I mean, maybe even go to the Sweet 16 or, or the Final Four. Um, and I'm also looking forward to some uh, possible rematches, Texas and Stanford. That should be exciting. If Stanford gets past them, maybe Stanford um, and South Carolina, that would be an explosive, exciting uh, matchup as well. Um, and just to also see how some of the newcomers uh, do who have never had a chance to host uh, before, like uh, Michigan has never hosted um, a tournament, um, the first rounds in their um, in their home gym. So those are some of the things that are really exciting to me, kind of the first round stuff to see if there's some disruption that will cause some excitement and break some brackets out there. Kent, uh, I'd love to hear from you as well here before I, before I jump in with a couple other things. Yeah, <clears throat> I was uh, talking with Charlie Crean, the ESPN bracketologist, and, and, and he thought that one thing this kind of the end of the season showed was that there probably are six or seven teams that can legitimately win this thing. And that, did, that didn't appear, I guess, to be the case, I don't think, early in the season when it kind of seemed like it was South Carolina and everybody else. But, I mean, I think, you know, Stanford's so hot and – UConn is healthy. North Carolina State's been so good. I mean, Baylor, I mean, there's, I think there's probably six, seven teams that can do this, you know, and actually in my bracket, I only have two number one seeds making the final four. Uh, I have UConn and Baylor being the other two, but I, I mean, I'm interested to see, you know, you know, who can keep that momentum going into this tournament because that's not always a given. Any key kind of uh, themes that you can imagine emerging aside from I'm hearing kind of a sense of maybe some parody from Kent and some of some of the other panelists in terms of the field being a little bit more maybe open than it has been in, in certain years. Are there you know, positional themes? Are there uh, is there anything any any one kind of style of play or matchup that, that you want to be watching if you're if you're just a women's college basketball fan? Um, well, I was as I was mentioning to the panelists earlier. I think that there are an, an enormous number of really good bigs in this tournament. In, in some ways, it's kind of a throwback tournament in terms of the skills that they have. I'm thinking of like Lee in Kansas State and Ebo and Boston, Cinzano. I mean, there's just so many good bigs in this tournament. Um, I mean, I'm excited. I, I like that style of basketball. I like I like to watch a team that can play both inside and out. And there are a lot of teams in this tournament that can do this. Yeah, even I, I mean, I totally agree with that. And I have to chime in on this because um if you've ever listened to a game of mine and Leah knows this, like just unabashed post lover here, I have no problem sharing that bias of mine, but uh, I think that is a great point because you do see how important that inside outside play is. Yes. We're seeing more three pointers. Yes. We're seeing up tempo kinds of offenses, like the, some of the best offenses in the country Nebraska, DePaul, uh, Ohio state, and Maryland are in the tournament as well. So really, you know, high pace, high flying teams, but you still see the team that are you know possibly going to go very deep in this tournament that have those bigs and I think that's totally right from Kent I mean looking at my own bracket too that it's it's hard to escape it's hard I think to get that far uh, and we saw this in the Big Ten with uh, Ohio State for example where they really don't have that where they have JC Sheldon and Taylor Mikesell along the perimeter two of the best three-point shooters you'll see in that conference in the nation itself but can they go far can a team like them go far when they don't have that kind of depth in the post because that's really where you're seeing that efficiency and that scoring. But, but on that note, you also have the evolution of positionless uh, basketball with players like Haley Jones, who can do it, you know, all over the floor. And even Leah Boston can shoot from outside. So that's an exciting development that uh, you're seeing more and more on the college level as well. And you can listen to the whole, uh, the whole playback of that, like I said, on StarTribune.com or on the Star Tribune's main Facebook page. Really, thanks so much to our panelists. Once again, should be a really fun tournament. 
would be a lot of fun uh, if uh, if Paige Beckers from UConn, uh, now that she's healthy, if she can get get to the final four in uh, you know in Minneapolis the the former Hopkins standout one of the best players in the country that would be a pretty cool storyline for the final four as well but regardless of what happens should be a great tournament and a great final four let's move on now to the Vikings they made a move on uh, on Tuesday signed Jordan Hicks or at least Agreed to terms with Jordan Hicks that can become official as soon as today when the new league year starts. Uh, pretty productive player with Arizona last season. I found him in the pro football focus rankings. He was the number 21 graded linebacker in the NFL last year, which doesn't put him in elite territory, but puts him in pretty good company when you consider, you know, teams play, you know, three or four linebackers. You know, if you're the 21st best, that puts you in pretty good company he was you know right around the same spot as Anthony Barr who he could very well be replacing with the Vikings and you know one really nice stat about him is he was fifth in total snaps last year he, he played a lot he was durable he's kind of a dependable veteran maybe not great in pass coverage especially not if you're asking him to get any kind of depth on that pass coverage but he can stop the run he can rush the passer a little bit and he is a solid player so that's the kind of player they want and need right now so it seems like a pretty solid uh pretty solid signing now what are the vikings going to do now that the new league year is about to start they still have probably some work to do got some some cap space to clear uh, if they want to make any more moves still really thin at cornerback and of course there's the draft you know later next month to to to, to deal with and add more pieces there's another wave of free agency but i'll be interested to see how active they are in kind of this first wave of free agency. We've already seen them sign a couple players. You know, saw them sign the interior lineman from Buffalo the other day, um, and now and now Jordan Hicks. So, you know, it, it, this could be a sign of, you know, kind of the little pieces they're going to they're gonna try to make overhauls to the defense with mid-level moves, which would be fine, but that defense needs a lot of work. Are there bigger moves to come uh, to, to clear bigger swaths of cap space and this is where we're really going to see the philosophy of uh, of Quesi Adolfo Mensa come into shape uh, of what Kevin O'Connell really thinks of this roster things like that so that's what I'll be paying attention to in the next few days and uh, I'll have Ben Gessling on I think on Friday's show to kind of break down what happens in those first two days of the new league year of course our Vikings writer he'll be all over that on Star Tribune and StarTribune.com, but I think I'll have him on Friday's show to kind of break down what has happened, get his perspective, because I haven't talked to him yet since the Kirk Cousins decision was made uh, about all of all of the direction that we're seeing from the Vikings so far. Speaking of the salary cap, contracts, quarterbacks, the, the contract details for Aaron Rodgers were released, and man, there is a lot of kind of empty cap, empty cap space tacked on to the end of that deal. It, in effect, becomes at least, should be here for at least two years, maybe three. They do get a break if he retires at that point, um, as opposed to other mechanisms that would happen. But there would still be a pretty good amount of dead money on that cap and would probably trigger a real rebuild at that point. Um, so... You know, I don't blame Green Bay for doing that. If you've got a Hall of Fame quarterback, an MVP, you do everything you can do to keep him. But uh, 
yeah, some of those details. Let me just read them for you. Uh, let me just read them for you here right now. Yeah, Rodgers essentially gets you know fifty million dollars a year over the next three years. He'll get forty-two million this year, fifty-nine million in two thousand twenty-three, and forty-nine point three million in. 2024 now those first two years are fully guaranteed when he signs so a lot of uh there's kind of there's two void years on the end of it to make the cap work he, he knocked about 18 million dollars off of his cap hit by doing that this year and that's the kind of thing you can do now if you're trying to win now and you know Devonte adams now doesn't want to play under the franchise tag reportedly has turned down some offers already so that could get dicey as well but Packers will be in cap jail at a certain point here, or at least we think they will. Sometimes these teams have a get-out-of-jail-free card if certain things happen. But um, the Rodgers deal, just astronomical numbers, huge, huge money going to him, huge money that the, the Packers will you know, owe on that cap if and when he retires or moves on. But uh, for now, he is there, and that was the reason I think the Vikings should have moved on from Kirk Cousins. But maybe that got complicated uh, when when Deshaun Watson became you know available and in play because the Vikings had to do something to Cousins' contract at a certain point to make it more possible to uh, to, to sign some of these other people and so now that they've given him that extra year and that no trade clause um, they're they're kind of in a box with that so good luck to them if they're going to try to compete with Green Bay in the division while Aaron Rodgers is still around I still don't see how that is going to work out any differently than it has in recent years but you know what. New regime, new brain trust. We give them a chance at the very least to see if they can prove me wrong. Let's finish with the cooler. Some interesting stuff from Baseball Prospectus. They put out their, um, they've got their projected win totals now for the teams. And I think a lot of us, you know, the Vegas betting odds are quite a bit different than uh, than what Baseball Prospectus is showing for the Twins this year. You know, Vegas is showing the Twins. Possibly being a last place team, winning 73, 74 games, kind of like they did last season. And that wouldn't be terribly surprising to me. But some of these more data driven models have been kinder to the Twins. I think I saw Fangraphs had Twins at 80 wins, which wouldn't be great, but would be an improvement over last season. Baseball Prospectus has them at 84 wins right now, coming in second in the division to Chicago. And in these expanded playoffs where you get six teams making it into the postseason now from each league, uh, that puts the Twins roughly in place to at least compete for, you know, one of those final wild card spots. And, you know, Twins probably aren't done adding and subtracting to their roster if they could add another pitcher, if they could solidify some other positions like shortstop. Maybe that number would go up even more. I don't know. It's interesting to me. I, I just don't I don't see it when I look at this roster. I don't see the master plan. I don't see how everything sorts itself out. I don't see the starting rotation uh, being much better than it was last year when it was certainly a problem. I don't see the bullpen being all that great either. And I don't know how the offense comes together, and I don't know who's going to field the ball at certain positions. I mean, they've got question marks all over this roster. But for some somehow, some way, baseball perspectives has arrived at a model that says 84 and 78 roughly is the record for this team. So I guess we'll see about that. I mean, if you want reasons for optimism, maybe go hunting hunting in those uh, more data-driven models instead of what we've kind of seen and expected um, you know, since, since the start of the 2021 season because I, I don't see it. But again, kind of like the Vikings, I'm willing to be proven wrong if it means 
that uh, that there's more interesting baseball played into August and September than there was a year ago. That will do it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed everything. Kind of a free-ranging show. A lot of different topics covered. Thursday's show, a little bit of a curveball. Going to have a couple guests on to talk about Formula One racing. New season starting this weekend. My friend Jim Andrews, my friend Chris Atterbury, also one of the voices of the Twins, will be on with me to talk Formula One racing. Haven't done a, li- a lick of Formula One talk in the entire history of Daily Delivery, but I'm on a group text with these guys. They keep talking about how great Formula One is, so I am going to talk about Formula One with them on Thursday's show in addition to whatever happens with the Vikings as the new league year starts. Thanks so much for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We'll see you again on Thursday.